an honor to stand in this place, actually be called uh, by the pastor Steve to take this position. Because this house has been a powerhouse to me. And I'm so thankful for it. Uh, Dave said I couldn't cry. <laughs> Uh, but there's so many things that I'm thankful for and grateful for. I see so many faces in this room and stage that have made my life much, much better. So I'm thankful. I'm grateful. And, uh, I just have a few things that I want to share with you. You know, and Steve asked me, Last Sunday, I said, I'll get back to you. And uh, so I, you know, sought the Lord, and it seemed good. And so I called him back, and I said, yeah, I'll do it, but don't tell anybody, especially my wife. And then I walk in the door, and everybody's saying, I hear you're preaching. <laughs> A lot of good that did, huh? <laughs> but it is an honor, you know. If I just were to begin to talk about Steve and Trish, um, I could spend the whole morning doing that. And very sincerely doing that because here that emotion comes it's like the wind that blows through and, and then flies away again <laughs> but like Jeremy talked of when I first came and I was just a young man I'm a 50s child, so that lets you know, born 1950, I grew up in the uh, 50s and 60s, you know, you know what happened in those years, old Elvis came on the scene, just uh, shaking it, you know what I mean, <laughs> and the whole culture began to shift, and then the hippies showed up. Right when I was in the heart of my teens. And that wind carried me away. And I got involved in that. And the drug culture that came with it. And some of the ideals, free sex. And all those things, and which we're seeing a lot of the fruits of those today. Of those ideals. Uh, but the Lord started to reveal himself to me in those years. Felt the peace of God for the first time. And I knew I had to have more, but I didn't exactly know how to get it. Still lost in the drug culture. But this young kid invited me to a Bible study down at Willie Myrtle and Willie Nelson. On the road again. Uh, and, uh, and I went. That's where I met Steve and Trish, Connie, Paul, and Becky. Of course, I came stoned, which was my routine back in those days. And... Uh, but that's where I began to, because before that I began to sense there was a God, begins to sense there was a peace that he had. But it's there where they opened the scriptures for me, and I began to understand the kingdom principles and the love and the mercy of God. And uh, changed my life. So I'm thankful very thankful for Steve being faithful to the call. And I've seen him 
at his worst. I've seen him at his best. And, uh, but he has always stood by me. He's seen me at my worst, and he's seen me at my best. But he's always stood by me. He's walked through some really hard times, <laughs> like burying a son. But he was there. And Trish was there. I might be crying, but my heart is full. It really is it's full of thanksgiving and gratitude. It's for the life he's given me. And to have a place like this on the earth, a family, a community where we can come together experience the love of God together. What is more than that? See my children, see my grandkids here. All I can say is I'm thankful. I'm grateful. Uh, you know, I just want to shift a little bit. I, I talked to Linda. I know we've been, for the last two Sundays, we have a family in the Ukraine. And uh, they're just begging for prayer. They really are. Great need, great, great struggle. Lives are in the balance. And, and I asked, uh, you know, Lauren, if the band would stay here. And I'm at, I've asked Linda if she would just share briefly. She might just read one of the texts, and then she's going to pray. But I really want us to get behind this, to be very intentional and get behind this when we pray. Because I know that we're called to do that, and if God didn't call us to pray, There'd be no profit in it. But if he calls us to pray and gives us the grace to pray, there is great profit. So if we can really unite ourselves as a family here and stand behind them, that there'd be great deliverance for the saints over there. It would be really, really good. Do you want to come and take the mark? And let me just say, Linda's been here a long time, and I've heard her pray, and let me tell you, she can bring heaven down when she prays. So I'm thankful for you, Linda. <laughs> you too. Yeah, I've been doing a lot of praying for the for our family in the Ukraine. I've been there myself four four different times. And uh, they really are family, Natasha and Vovo and her family and then there's several others and and there's Karen. I mean, and they've been here as well in our church and ministered here. And so they are like family. They really are like family. And uh, Karen, he got out of the Ukraine and into Moldova. <laughs> I said this morning, he doesn't skip a beat. I mean, he is, if there's anybody that's like Peter Mel, it's Karen. He, um, he, I saw this morning on Facebook, he was having church service over there in Moldova and had lots of people. What an opportunity to get people saved when they have such a need. Uh, and then Natasha and, and her crew, I think there were three vehicles that left Chernigiv, and when they were in Chernigiv, they got to the point they had no food, they had no water, they had no heat, they had no electricity. And so, I mean, they were in uh, dire straits, and they were also getting uh, sick. I mean, she's, here's what she said this, this morning, I got this, this message. It says, we have lots of questions and very little answers. We need prayer, like always, and miracles. Apartments are hard to find in the western part of the Ukraine, and that's where they're at right now. They're in the, in the western part of Ukraine, so they've gotten out of Chernigiv. They've gotten to a place where they have food. They have heat and water and all of the necessities. But what is more complicated is that we may send... What is more complicated is that if they... That is that if they stay there, they may send my boys and my husband to war. This is what that part of Ukraine practices once men arrive in that area. So we want to get to a European country where we can be safe. And so that's really what we want to pray about this morning. Uh, yes, well, I think it was yesterday morning or the morning before maybe I got a 
text from Jill at like 2.30 in the morning, and I woke up, and I prayed. That's when they were, they were traveling from Chernigiv to get out of where they were at into where, where they are now. And I woke up, and I prayed, and then I went back to sleep, and I had a dream. And in this dream, I saw their vehicle covered in rubber, and that anything that would hit them would bounce right off. And so I do believe that God is protecting them and taking care of them. But, but we need to pray now that they can get to the next, their next step, the next, uh, and I think, I think Poland is one of the places that they've been trying to get to. And so anyway, if you'd stand with me this morning, and let's, let's agree. You know, if, if the Bible says that if one can put 1,000 to flight, two can put 10,000. Think about how many, what we can do here from this place this morning for the nation of Ukraine and for our family there. Okay, thank you, Father. Father God, I thank you. And I praise you, Father God, for what you've already done for our family over in the Ukraine. And I thank you now, Father God, for Natasha and, and these, uh, the family that are traveling with her, Father God. I thank you, God, that you will make a way where there is no way. I thank you, God, that you are opening the right doors for them. I thank you, Father God, that you are a miracle-working God. And I thank you that you're working a miracle on their behalf in the name of Jesus. And I thank you, Father God, for the nation of Ukraine. I thank you, God, that you're going to bring an end to this war in the name of Jesus. I thank you, Father God, that this war will end now in Jesus' name. And I thank you, Father God, for your hand of protection upon your people, upon the, upon the Ukrainians over there, Father God, upon you, the Christian, the churches that have been established there, Father God, and the Russian, through the Russian Harvest Ministry. And I thank you, Father God, for supernatural provision. I thank you, God, that you provide everything that they have need of in the name of Jesus. And Father God, I thank you that you said that if we agree as touching anything, it would be done for us. And so I thank you, God, that you have heard our prayers today. And I thank you, God, that you are answering our prayers and that you are taking care of the nation of Ukraine in Jesus' name. Praise God. Amen. Thank you, Linda. I'm so thankful for a land that we live in. Our forefathers and what they laid down. Thankful for a lot of things. But I just kind of want to move along here. You know, the worship part of this church has meant a lot to me. And and it's accomplished a lot. We have good preaching here, but it comes on the wings of worship. And it's like worship can plow a road that opens the way for the Word of God to come in and be planted. So I'm very thankful. I'm very thankful for Lauren. I love this look on her face when she comes up and it's time to sit on that, it gets to the piano, and she'll close her eyes, and this look comes on her face. I'm going in. And she goes. <laughs> and we follow. But it's amazing things happened in worship. To me, especially, my God starts to light my imagination, <laughs> and I begin to see things, see things happen. And uh, out of those experienced songs have came to me. And uh, God has really met me in these areas. And uh, <laughs> this goes back a long time. But I believe this was really for the church. I'll just say this. When, they, when Steve asked me to come up and preach, and I thought, God, am I a preacher? And he said, oh, no, you're not a very good one. <laughs> <laughs> I said, well, am I a teacher? He said, well, kind of. <laughs> I said, well, what in the world am I then? But it was amazing. He told me, he said, you know what you are? Is you're a storyteller and you're a psalmist. So I'm going to try to stick with that, and I think I'll be okay. But I asked the band to stay up there, so if they get behind me on this, this is, 
it was back in some Kevin Leo meetings we had maybe 15 years ago. And I know a lot of you have heard this in the church before, but it's some psalming that I do. And, and uh, you know, David was a psalmist. I mean, the psalms are absolutely incredible. I love journeying through the psalms and the heart he had and how he could express his relationship with God is like no other man that I know. There's so much honesty, so much purity in, in, in his relationship. Uh, but anyway, I'm going to do some psalming. And this came in these this Kevin Leo meetings. And I really believe that it's for this church. If you want to sit down, you can. And so I asked the uh, band to play so if everybody could, uh, could get behind me on this and even... Those that don't know the words, if they could just hum. <laughs> and support it. Because I know that, that music is an art and it's God-given. And I know that music can put oil to a dry bearing. And uh, so that's why I've asked them to help me out with this. So this, I believe it's a mandate for this church, but... Uh, you know, I see some new faces right here. And what we really want people to experience here is God, simply God. And our goal here is to build an inhabitation that God would come in and inhabit. Because if he shows up, it's going to be okay. Things are going to get done. His goodness will lead us all to a better place, a place of repentance. So that's really our desire, our only desire. And uh, so this is kind of the, I believe it's a mandate. I really believe it's for the church. So just start playing, pick it up a little bit for me. And when I feel it, <laughs> I'll start in. <laughs> I kind of give it maybe, kind of maybe some of that old southern rock and roll sway up here. <laughs> if you could. Maybe I need to pull that out of Nathaniel back there. <laughs> kind of a little, you know, kind of that moving, slow moving. Yeah, we're coming here. I'll let you build it up. Come on, here we go. Yeah. You're going to find it. Yeah, there it's coming. It's coming. Oh, I begin to feel it. Uh-huh. Yeah. Well, there's a mandate on this church. Yeah. Can you feel it? He's got it going. And it's to bring the presence of the Lord our God. A place where people can come and experience His goodness. Because it's the goodness of the Lord that leads a man to repentance. So here comes the mandate. There's come a revelation of this unique gift impartation. And it's causing quite the celebration because of the Father's validation. <laughs> uh-huh. Mm-hmm. So here we go again. And now there's a motivation that's moving down through the congregation to build an inhabitation for the Almighty God of creation. Uh-huh. Coming around again. Uh-huh. And because you have resisted that spirit of cologne, I'm building right here a play building of fine gemstones. 
And it's a place where I can set up my throne and here my family will call home. Uh-huh. Do you agree? All right. Uh-huh. Here we go. So here from the heart of this congregation, I'm, I'm setting up a transfer station. And it's going to move out across the nation. And it's going to capture the next generation. Aha! Yeah, that's what's happening in this house. Woo! Yes. So go ahead and put it on the billboard sign. We have found our unique design. Yeah, you can say we've left the past behind. And we moved out across the line. Now we're out here where that creativity flows because we're getting in line with the Holy Ghost. Mm -hmm. Can it be true? It can be. So I'm going to bring it home right here now. Waiting for it to come around. Here we go. Now we're going to experience a greater flow. Now let me start off. Now there are some that I want you to know. There's going to be this great increase of the Holy Ghost flow. And you're going to get dreams in the night. And the Almighty's going to give you grace to put those dreams to flight. And it's going to cause some to stand before kings and queens. The ones that wear those big gold and diamond rings. And there with great joy you shall testify of the almighty God that is present to change their lives. That's our mandate. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> you can stay if you want. I love the music. <laughs> but I might call you back up in the end here. Uh, you know, there there's just some scriptures that I think are good, and maybe I'll attempt a, just a short little shot at teaching here. But uh, and uh, the one is in Galatians, where it talks about the fruit of the spirit, and. If you want to go there, that's fine. Otherwise, you can just follow me along. And I'll just tell you this, that you know, the fruit of the Spirit, you know, Steve talked about love last week. He asked me what I was going to talk about, and I said, I'll talk about the same thing. It's the greatest subject on the earth, is love. And, um, it's the only thing that has no limit or law. Everything else does. But not when it comes to love. There are no limits to it. And so I was just going through a couple things. I, I, I was just going through the fruits of the Spirit again. And uh, so let's just walk through this quickly, and then I'm going to go over uh, and... Uh, Go in a little bit, because Paul talked a lot about our mind taking things captive and how to think, what's the proper way to think. But if we just go through the fruit of the Spirit, I'll just want to walk through that, because it says, 
But the fruit of the Spirit is love. That's the first thing. And when you talk about love, it talks about a, there's different levels of love. But the greatest love is the agape love, where I choose for your highest good. Now, that only works if the rest of this comes in place afterwards. Uh, so can I do that joyfully? And can I do that peacefully? Because if I have a level of joy and a level of peace, uh, I can have meaningful conversation with people. And when we begin to have meaningful conversation, what I mean by meaningful conversation, our heart really reaches out and wants to connect with them. Because when that starts to happen, to some people that is foreign. But when all of a sudden they say, wow, this guy seems like he really cares about me. When he says something, there seems to be weight to what he says. And it starts to draw them in. But these fruits are so powerful. But let me just go down through the list because it talks about love. It talks about joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against these things, he said, there is no law. We can push that to the limit. Absolutely to the limit. Uh, but we have to work at it. It just doesn't happen. You know what I mean? Because there's so much information coming to us all the time that is contrary to that, that it's easy to bow our knee and say, oh, man, this is not working or whatever this... Uh, whatever the challenge is, but I want to go, oh, let me see, I want to go, if I can find it. See, reading in front of the crowd is kind of a, is kind of an interesting, am I keeping this mic close enough to my mouth? Yeah. Just somebody, if I'm, this is wandering, just yeah, point, and then we'll get it figured out. Uh, here is, uh, I just want to read through this. I just want to read this because my good old mama, she was a saint, and this was her favorite verse. In her last days, as the light was slowly going out, uh, every time we would come together, she would want to leave and recite this verse together. Uh, and this is the one, Philippians, that says, Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Let your gentleness be known to all men. Don't exclude anybody. For the Lord, he is at hand. And be anxious for nothing. But in everything, with prayer and thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God and the peace of God that surpasses all understanding will fill your heart and your mind in the Lord Jesus. Whoa, if we could live there, huh? Wouldn't that be awesome? But then Paul moves down, and he tells us how to think. And I love the messages that come uh, from this platform up here by Steve, whoever takes it on as far as the mind. Because the, in my Christian walk, to be honest with you, that has been some of the biggest help to me is to get a control of this thing. You know what I mean? Boy, that thing can just take off on you and take you down roads you don't want to go. Yeah, but to, oh, rain it in, come on. But he, this is what I did. I did this about a month ago, and, I'm, and it really helped me out. Because then he goes, he said, finally, brethren, 
He said, finally, brethren, this is what we need to think on. Uh, think for, let me, I got to find Because as he says, think on these things. Finally, brethren, whatever things are true. Now, let's say we're in a conflict. Here, let me just say what I, so about a month ago, I went through this. I took one word a day, and I meditated, and I thought on that one word all day long. On what the, I said, okay, God, if this is a pattern or if this is a formula, then let me work this. So I'd take one word, and I'd think about it every day. The first word is true, whatever's true. Boy, can that solve problems if you can figure that out. You know what I mean? Because there's a thousand voices that are calling out to us constantly. I remember when I, I and this was right before it happened. I don't know, it was during I was going through this process. I was going on old Highway 78 there heading for Ashby. And I always go back to the spot. I was telling Matt this the other day. I could almost go back to the spot where the Lord, because I, I was meditating on the Lord and he challenged me. And he said, Stan, when there's a thousand voices speaking at one time, can you hear mine? I go, ooh, Lord, I want to. I really want to. Because his voice is the truth. And if we can hear that, It'll change our attitude. It'll change what we look. It'll change our focus. Change our inner focus. Our inner focus is so powerful. What are we looking at it inside of us? Uh, I just, Bill Johnson, I love Bill Johnson. He's the preacher out in Reading. And, uh, but he said something that really helped me. And I'm going to try kind of quote him here again, but... And this was years ago. We did this uh, series here, uh, video series. I can't even remember what it was. But he made a statement in there that I thought was so powerful. It really began to make a shift in my life. He said, our inner focus and agreement with either the the reality of the kingdom of God, which is the truth, or the reality of the kingdom of darkness, which is based on lies, will allow either one of those realities to flow into our lives. And then he goes on to say, he said, so whatever we behold, we become. So where is our inner focus today? What are we gazing at? What are we looking at? Are we aligning ourselves with the kingdom of light or the kingdom of darkness or both? Which is confusing, but, and, I, and I've been there. Absolutely been there. And I'm still not free of it. But I do know when I align with the truth, things get better really quick. Uh, so let's think about that. What is the truth? Whenever you get thrown in a situation and it seems to be a troubling situation, you don't know where to go, just begin to seek, well, what is the truth? Or try to figure it out. If it's a family issue or if it's a neighborly issue or whatever the issue might be, is absolutely, what is the truth? And then let me align myself with that. And then we can start making some headway, hopefully. Let's move on down the line because there's a progression here that I think is really kind of sweet. Because first thing he talks about, uh, whatever is truth, whatever is noble. Well, truth, and being a noble is a man of strong character, a man of strong conviction. But see, truth will produce that. A man that has a strong conviction, has a strong vision, knows he's going, and knows what is right, knows what is wrong. So then you can move 
into the next thing because the next thing he says is whatever's just. How can you bring justice if you don't have truth? You can't. It's impossible. Even in our lives, even in our little communities, even in our marriages, even with our kids or with our family, or whatever the issues we deal with, you know what I mean? If we're going to bring justice to that, because when justice comes, this is the fruit of justice. He said, then whatever is pure, whatever it becomes lovely, whatever is lovely, whatever is of a good report. If there's any virtues, virtues come out of that. And when all those things start to align, our lives start to become stable. And, commu- and, and, and relationships begin to mean something. So I really, I think it's very important that we work on these things. I know you've heard it all, and, and I'm just you know, given it with my angle. Because if different preachers talk about the same subject, you're going to get a different view of how they all see it, which is, is a good thing. So, the love of God. This is the way we can, if we understand these things, we can build a platform that puts us in a position where we can display the love of God. And that is my goal. I really want to do that. I want to be that for you guys. I want that church, our church to operate that, and we do. We absolutely do. There's some good things. There's, I see great families here. Uh, I see them raising children, godly children. And uh, I'm just going to go back to Steve and Trish. I know I'm jumping around a little bit. I'm going to tell some stories as we get to the end of this, because uh, there's some powerful stories that I just <laughs> want to share with you. But this is the thing that I, and I just told Stephen Tristis two, three weeks ago. I said, one of the things that I admire about you the most, if not the most, is how you have lived your life and presented the gospel And how you have passed that down to your children means more to me than anything else. Because he has what I call a generational outlook. And he understands if I can't pass this down to the next generation, what good is it? And here, look at right here, front row. One, two, three of his sons sitting right here in the front row with their wives and their families. It's a powerful testimony in how he has shared, you know, at times when he struggled and just want to give it up. But always God comes back to him and says, yeah, but what about the next generation? And he's been faithful to that. And here's the fruit of it. And I know there's transition coming in this church where there's going to be a shift of people that stand up here and lead this church. But he has really run his, his race well because he has positioned other people in this church to pick it up. And we've heard it. We've heard their sons get up here and preach. Lauren has been up here. And, uh, I mean, it's just it's beyond words. I mean, it's amazing how he's passed that on and how they have picked it up. So I know we're going to be okay. And it's always tough when you're in a situation where the next generation doesn't pick it up because if it doesn't, it dies. I see these abandoned churches, these old country churches that stand as monuments across the land of our forefathers that came, settled these lands, and God was a big deal to them. 
and uh, they wanted to build a house, the house of the Lord. Matter of fact, the house I live in, uh, Peace Lutheran Church right here in Ashby was started in the house I live in by my great-grandfather. But if we don't position ourselves where we can bring the next generation in, it will not become a generational work. But that has been the goal of Stephen Trish here. And for that, I'm very, very thankful. Extremely thankful. Matter of fact, there's an old Lutheran church out in North Dakota on the Bucyrus Road, the doors closed in 1965. And it stands out there as a monument of those old prairie saints that came and settled that land. And it's a, it's, it's a wonder to see because there's no trees out there and it stands on this little rise and this big old wolf butte stands behind it. And uh, we've know some ranchers out there. We've gone out there and hunted for years. Uh, but I've, I wrote a song about the Wolf Butte Lutheran Church. And I think about the old prairie saints that used to live out. I think about our forefathers and the influence they gave and, and how they passed it on. And I'm still a part of that. I see, like I see my grandchildren here. I see the next generation coming on. I don't want the doors to close here. I want the generations to keep flowing through this house till Jesus returns. That is the real cry of my heart. Strong families that raise children, it's the most organic way to grow the church. Uh, and I see it happening here. It's wonderful, it's awesome. So keep it up, you're doing a good job. <laughs> keep having more. <laughs> um, so I'm going to, what I wanna do is I wanna tell a story. I was thinking about telling a couple of stories and one is a personal story because we got, we, the goodness of God is, is amazing. And as I was, you know, thinking through this week and thinking about the love of God and reading some of the stories of just Jesus, how he lived his life and how he interacted with people was amazing. And there are some of them stories. There's one story that really that just really moved me. I went through it again over and over, actually. And I put myself in the story. And the emotions of it got so great. I mean, I, I would just weep. Uh, at the love of God. And so what I thought I would do is I would... Let's walk through that story with you. Now, when Jesus came on the scene, first time he showed up, he was 12 years old in the temple. He confounded the teachers of the law and the scribes and the Pharisees with the wisdom he had at 12. But then he kind of disappeared for the scene for quite a while. But then John the Baptist comes on the scene and starts to declare, there's one coming after me that his sandals I am not worthy of tying. And then Jesus comes on the scene. He starts doing these miracles. He starts to preach and teach. He starts gathering his disciples to follow him. But you got to understand, it's been 400 years since a prophet has spoken. And the scribes and the Pharisees have been keep 
and the traditions, and they're so deeply ingrained in that Hebrew children that here comes Jesus, seems to be a total lawbreaker. And then he does these radical things. Like he sits in the temple one day, I think it's in Isaiah, he goes through and he's, you know, uh, where he declares what he is. The blind will see and the captive will go be free. And I declared the acceptable year of the Lord. And then he sits down and says, today, this is fulfilled in your hearing. <laughs> Holy. You know what I mean? This guy's radical. But he made such a quiet entry in, nobody's seen him coming. And all of a sudden, here he appears. He starts doing these miracles that are absolutely incredible, but it's driving these scribes and Pharisees and teachers of the law absolutely crazy. What are we going to do with this guy? Well, they start making plans to kill him. They don't know how to, we don't know what else to do with him. Let's just kill him. He's screwing everything up as far as the law, you know what I mean? And everything that we hold, he doesn't seem to be aligning with that. And he, now he's starting to accuse us. Some pretty heavy-duty accusations against us. So they, they start making plans, you know, how are we going to get rid of him? And then he'll come in the temple and they think, Ah, oh, we're going to get him this time, but he walks out through their midst and they can't seem to corner him. So where the story begins, where I'd like the story to begin, was before, I think it was the Feast of Tabernacles. And Jesus was, a lot of people, he was very popular, a lot of people were following him, but he started saying some pretty radical things. Like, unless you eat my body and drink my blood, you can have no part in me. And a lot of people started leaving. They started questioning, who is he anyway? And, uh, and even his brothers didn't really believe in him. But they knew he did all these miracles and said, hey, Jesus, the feast of Tabernacles is starting, you're coming, you know, you're doing all these powerful things. You really want a following, you should get up there, old Jerusalem, and do something. I mean, it'd be a good deal for you. But Jesus said, No, no, I'm not going up. Because he said, My time has not yet come. He knew his purpose, he knew what he was here for, and he had set his face to do it, but he knew when the right time to do it would come. And this is an amazing story because they were always trying to, always trying to find a fault in him, the teachers of the law. And so the feast had started and in the middle of the feast he shows up, begins to teach in the temple. Now, there was this lady doesn't say much about her. So I'm going to take my privilege and just gap fill a little bit, if you're okay with that. A lady that was probably had a pretty self-low esteem, not a very good image of herself. So she gave herself sexually away quite often and freely. And her self-worth, every time she got in one of these relationships, became destroyed. Now the scribes and the fairies and the teachers, they were aware of this lady. They always kind of left her alone. But today, they wanted to trap Jesus. So in the morning, new Jesus was going to be teaching in the temple. They'd set up some watchmen to watch her 
Sure enough, she went into the house with a man. In the middle of that act of adultery, the door bursts open. The teachers of the law and the scribes and the Pharisees come in and grab this woman, pull her out from under him or wherever position they were, and they drag her to the temple. Sperm cells running down her legs. She saw them laughing. <laughs> but I mean, I want you to put yourself in this story. Now think about this woman. She's a Jewish woman. She knows the law. The law says... If you are caught in adultery, you will be stoned. So she said, it's over. So these scribes and Pharisees, as they were dragging there, she would see them picking up stones along the way. She was pleading for her life. She said, no, I won't. I won't do it again. Give me a second chance. They were persistent. They said, we are going to find a way to destroy Jesus through this woman. So they continued to drag her in the temple, and Jesus was teaching. So they bring her before him. Set her in the midst. And they uh, say to Jesus, Now Moses said in the law, if we find someone committing adultery, that we are to stone her. We have caught this woman in the very act. What do you say? So Jesus just stoops down, begins to write in the sand. He begins, he's seen these teachers of the law, and he recognizes the oldest one as one of those that was in the temple when he was 12 years old. And then he, from the oldest to the youngest. And he begins to realize these are the people that are going to accuse me and kill me someday. And there's the woman in the midst of from her perspective, she looks at Jesus and said, who is this man? They have brought me before. I look in his eyes. I've never looked in the eyes of anybody like this. I've never seen such depth. I've never seen such humility. I've never seen a calm in anyone. Like this before. Who is he? Jesus just kept writing and they kept asking. Kept hounding him, but he just kept writing in the sand. And then the words he spoke. We're amazing because this is the love of God.
the woman hears him give them permission to stone her, but with one condition. He that is without sin, let him throw the first stone. Sits back down, begins writing in the sand. Now the woman, she forgot everything why she was even there. She was totally absorbed by this man and what he said. She said, I've never heard anybody talk to me like say those words, she felt this burden began to lift off of her. And then she heard a stone fall. Then she heard another stone fall. And they all began to walk away, starting with the old. To the youngest. But I can see the youngest. He hesitated, held on to his stone, because he was hung in the balance. But after he saw them all leave, he said, I, I got it. So they all left. And Jesus looks up. Sees the woman still standing there. And he looks at her. Says, woman, where are your accusers? She said, Lord, there are none. In that moment, the woman was saying, who is this man? I have never felt loving kindness. I've never experienced mercy. So wide, so deep, so vast, it seems like this man holds the universe in his hands. And he spoke to me and said, I do not condemn you, but go and sin no more. What could be my reasonable response? But to go and live a life free of sin. But that's what the goodness of God will do. I'm going to tell you one more story, and then we're going to wrap it up to end. This is my personal story of that same experience. This goes back to the beginning, trying to get free of the drug culture. I remember the first time I came to that Bible study, there were two young girls, the preacher's daughters there, and Steve Sinsdalen, if you remember him. And another young man, man that invited me. Of course, the whole sermon, they uh, talked about was on pharmacia, which means drugs, pharmacy. Uh how God wants to deliver you out of that stuff. <laughs> so, there I was, I got slaughtered, you know. <laughs> and uh, so afterwards, you know, I went up and Steve and Connie Paul, and they prayed for me. And, uh, I mean, my routine is every day I used it. Uh, I really determined 
Yeah, uh, this is my turning point. This is my pivot point. I'm walking away from it. And, uh, and I did pretty good, although it called out to me every day, you know what I mean? Come to me, my fair man. Let me take care of you. Let me be your comfort. <laughs> and I did pretty good for quite a while, but... Uh, and then I started writing these songs. You know, God started giving me songs. I wrote this one song about an experience that I had. I was farming at the time. I was plowing the field, and this green pickup truck rolls up and stops, and a young man comes out, asks, uh, you know, if he could hunt. I actually wrote a song about that. How many have heard that? Miss Casey. Well, plowing the field on the Leanderson farm, a green pickup truck rolls up and stops. A young man comes on the run. So I stopped the tractor, slowed it down, and slipped it out of gear, opened up that tractor door so I could hear. And then he asked me if I'd mind if he could hunt those ducks in the pond back there. I told him I didn't own the pond, but I really didn't care. <laughs> and then he asked me if I wanted to come and have a drink with him. I smiled and told him, oh no, mister. It just makes my blood run thin. And he said, you know he like to drink and smoke the dope now and then. I smiled and told him, you know, I used to. But I got washed in the blood of the Lamb. And I don't want to drink or smoke the dope to cope with the things to come for I'm an heir of God Almighty and a joint here with his son and I get so high thinking about all he's doing and has done and let me tell you oh what a privilege to be one of his children <laughs> there's my song so anyway, well, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> uh, so as the experience moves along, so I'd sing that song. It was kind of becoming my delivery song. And then uh, people started asking me to come out and sing these songs. You know, I was starting to write a few songs. And so I, <clears throat> was inter I was asked to come up and sing at the Full Gospels businessmen meeting up there in Fergus Falls. It was kind of a big people. A lot of people showed up. Biggest crowd I'd ever sang for, you know. But that day, the day before, the, the harvest was becoming ripe and, uh, and the barley was standing ripe on the harvest. And so I loaded the uh, swatter on the back of the uh, trailer on the back of the old pickup truck and was driving out there. The ashtray was open. Whoa, there was a half-smoked joint. <laughs> Started calling to me. Come to me, my friend. Let me take care of you. Pulled her out. Lit her up. <laughs> Smoked that joint down. It was all done. I thought, whoa, I'm singing at the full gospel business meeting tonight. <laughs> oh, man. I about died. <laughs> I said, Lord, how can I do it? Hypocrite. <laughs> and I said, how can I get out of it? I got to call him. I got to come up with an excuse. I can't show up. I can't do it. I couldn't get free of it. So I said, well, I guess I'm going to sing at the full gospel business, man. <laughs> Meeting tonight, Fergus Falls. Whew. Talk about being under pressure. <laughs> a 
So I got up there, I sang a couple songs. I mean, they went great. The crowd loved them. They laughed and clapped. And, uh, and I went sat down. I suffered through it, let me tell you. And said, whoo, that's over. Well, then the guy that had the message, he started preaching at the end. And I wasn't familiar with any of these gifts of the Spirit. He starts moving in the word of knowledge. And I never heard anything like it. And he starts calling out people. And he called up this one guy and he said, well, I've seen you doing all these crazy things and you deny it. Uh-oh. <laughs> I am a dead man. <laughs> and I had a blue shirt on at that point. I just buried my head in my arms. I looked at the floor. I said, I am not looking at that man. And he went on and on, and I just kept staring at the floor. Sweat was starting to run down my back. Uh, this is not good. I should run. <laughs> and then after a while, I hear him say, uh, the guy in the blue shirt over there. Oh, yeah, I got one of those on. But I'm not looking at him. Kept looking at the floor. Say, yeah, yeah, the guy in the blue shirt, the guy that sang tonight, come up here. And I go, oh, oh. That's it, it's over. Here comes judgment. Here comes the stones. So I walked up there. I mean, I was a wreck, absolute wreck. And uh, get up in front of them there and stood there and looked at me a little while and he began to speak to me. He said, you know, I want, this is what I hear the Lord saying to you. You, my son, are a diamond in the rough. But God is buffing you. One day, you will shine as a pure diamond. That's the last thing I remember. Instead, I've only really been slain in the spirit once. It felt like the ceiling above me opened and I was going straight up. But all of a sudden, I heard chairs falling all around me. And when I kind of come to reality, I was laying flat on the floor. When we expect judgment and get mercy, It'll change your life forever.